The reason we can be a family is because we have a father. All of us. The same father. A father in heaven. And what I want to do uh, today, we're starting off a new sermon series through the summer. It's called Knowing God. And what we want to do is we want to look at God and who He is, that there are three persons uh, that make up the Godhead, one God in unity together. The Lord your God is one God, but in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And we want to look at the persons of the Trinity, who they are, how they relate to each other, how they relate to us, and how they relate to our world. And in doing that, we want to pursue the persons of the Trinity, and we want to pursue the person of God. We want to pursue His purposes for our lives, and we want to pursue His presence with us. Not just when we gather here, but wherever we go and whatever we do, that His presence goes with us, His presence moves with us wherever we are. And so this morning, to start off the series, we're going to look at the first person of the Trinity, and throughout the summer, we're going to go backwards and forwards looking at different ones uh, as we different preachers are preaching. And Aaron's preaching up on the... in. Uh, Panet Road this morning on one of those topics as well. But we're going to look at God as Father this morning and what it means for God to be Father in our lives. And when we look at that topic, we tend to come at it with a bit of a a lens which is uh, crafted by our own experience and the culture that we live in. And so for some of us, some of us may, like me, have had a good father and uh, grew up in a home with a father that was present, that was with us, that loved us and Whatever Many of us lived up in in different sorts of backgrounds where maybe you didn't have a father that was so present. Maybe you didn't have a father that was present at all. Uh, One of the gals who was leading worship the morning that I was uh, preaching up at Panet Road on this sermon, she gave a testimony during the worship time when she'd never met a dad. She'd grown up without him altogether. Some of us have had dads that have been uh, very... Um, abusive, for want of a better word, in the way that they treated us and the way that they dealt with us in different ways. And even fathers that are good fathers, like my dad was, make mistakes. And we can get hurt by our dads in different ways. So when we come to talk about the fatherhood of God, we often come with a lens that is an unclear lens because we don't really understand, fully understand, what it means for God to be father in a good way. We have all sorts of various ways of looking at that. And of course, in our culture, fatherhood uh, is under attack altogether. And it doesn't, you don't have to go far on the internet to find articles about people saying, we don't even need fathers anymore. Uh, if, if you can bring up your kids on your own and you can have other people's help, why, why do you need a man uh, at all? Never mind a father in your life. And, and the fathers that are portrayed are often portrayed in, in certain ways that are again changed the way that we look at who God is as a father to us. So what we want to do this morning is to take a look at what the Bible says to us about God as father. And I'm not going to try and touch everything about God as father this morning. Obviously, that is way too big for one morning's topic. I just want to talk talk about two different aspects of God as father that Jesus gave us. Because what happens when you read through the Bible is that something really phenomenally changes from the Old Testament to the New Testament about how God is spoken about. It's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He doesn't change. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. But how He's spoken about in the New Testament, there is a change, and a big change. In the Old Testament, you can only find about 15 references to God as Father in the entire Old Testament. 
And those references to God as Father in the Old Testament, some of them are about God as Father of Israel or God as Father of particular individuals. Um, But it's not clear, it's not a clear doctrine, a theology in the Old Testament of God as Father. And if you look at the writings of rabbis and teachers through the Old Testament times, it's even less clear. You can't find rabbis and teachers that talk about God as Father. And then Jesus came along. And when Jesus came along, everything changed in the way that the Father and God was addressed. Because right from the beginning of his life, he started to speak of God as Father. It was his preferred way of speaking about God. Just in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke alone, he spoke about God as his Father 56 times. And then in John's Gospel, he spoke of God as his Father 100 times throughout that Gospel. And so... All through the Old Testament, 15 times God is Father. Jesus comes along and suddenly it's really the main way that he talks about God. He talks about him as being Father. And we want to look at one little verse this morning uh, where he talks about God as Father right at the end of his life actually. And it's in John chapter 20. If you want to turn there with me, I've got it up on the PowerPoint if you don't have a Bible with you. I'm just going to read it out of the English Standard Version. But where this happens is a particular point in Jesus' life. It's after the death, it's after the resurrection of Jesus, he's come back to life. The first person that he meets when he comes back to life is this lady, Mary Magdalene. And she thinks he's the gardener. And then Jesus calls her by name. He says, Mary. Uh, And she's so overcome with joy that she's got Jesus right in front of him. And the last time she saw him, they were carrying him into this tomb and he was dead and he was gone. And here he is standing right in front of her, and she gets hold of him and holds on to him. And this is what Jesus says to her in John chapter 20 and verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The question we need to ask when we talk about God as Father is not how does our culture today understand fatherhood or how we might understand fatherhood. What we need to understand is what Jesus understood by fatherhood. Because when he called God his Father, he was using it in the context of his own culture, his own time, and what he understood and the people around him understood as fatherhood. And so we want to look at two aspects of fatherhood that Jesus highlighted during his ministry while he was on earth about God as Father and what it meant for him for God to be his Father. Because if it meant that to Jesus, then it means that to us today, regardless of what our culture may say. And so we want to look at two aspects. I said there was lots of them we could talk about. We could talk about his protection and his provision. We were talking about this morning and just in our worship time, how God provides for us. And that's part of his fatherhood in wonderful ways. But the two things that I want to talk about today about God as father are these two attributes of God. First of all, God's authority as father. And secondly, God's intimacy as father. His authority and his intimacy. You don't have to go very far in the Gospels to recognize that Jesus saw God the Father as having authority. 
And in the Old Testament times and in the times of Jesus' culture and in the culture that they particularly were part of in the Middle East there, the father had authority in a home. He was a leader in the home. Now, hopefully he'd have done that right in terms of praying with his wife together, getting the will of God together, and, and together they would lead their home. But, but the father was where the buck stopped, in a home. That's not a very uh, popular uh, belief to, to preach about nowadays or even to speak about in our culture. But for Jesus, that's what he understood as fatherhood. He understood that a father had authority. And if you listen to the way Jesus talks and the way that he talks about God, you understand that he is very clear on the issue that God the Father has authority, not just over all things in heaven and earth, but over his own life as Jesus, the Son of God. Let me read to you some of what Jesus said about his father. This is from John 4.34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me meaning his father, and to accomplish his work. John 5.19, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. More clear, John 8.28, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me clarifies that in John 12, 49 to 50. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the one who sent me has himself given me a commandment. That's God the Father talking to Jesus, the eternal Son, and giving him a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. John 14, 28. I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. John 14, 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. John 15, 10, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Right at the end of his life, just before Jesus was ascended into heaven, he said to his disciples in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Which means that The one who gave him was the one who had all the authority and he gave it to Jesus. So God the Father in heaven has all authority. He gave it to Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28, Paul tells us that at the end of all things, after Jesus has brought all things together in the will of his Father, he's going to give them back to his Father who will have authority over all things. Jesus clearly saw the first person of the Trinity as being a father who had real authority over everything, which shouldn't be a surprise to us. I don't know whether you've ever written anything or you've created something which then has been um, copyrighted in different ways. I had the privilege of being able, when I was in the South Congregation, to write a book. And when you write a book, you copyright that book. You're the author of that book. And because you've authored authored it and you have the copyright over it, you have authority over what happens in that book. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that the Father in heaven has authority over all things because he authored all things. Everything that exists came out of his heart. It started in the heart of God the Father. He is the author of all things. He is the author of everything that is created, including you and me. We would not exist if we didn't come from the heart of a father in heaven. We have all been authored by the heart of a father. And because he has authored everything, he has authority over everything. 
Now, in his goodness and his kindness as a dad, is he's given us a choice. He's given us a free will to be able to choose whether we want to live under his authority or not. He's allowed us to live the way that we wanted to live. And right from the beginning, we walked away from his authority. God said, don't eat of that tree. Adam and Eve thought, we're going to eat of that tree. And they decided that they were not going to live under the authority of the Father in heaven. And we have all been suffering ever since. Not just because of what Adam and Eve did, but because we all do the same things. We all have the same tendency. Every one of God's children is a prodigal. You think about that. You think the mark of a good father, one of them ought to be that your children aren't prodigals. God is the greatest father of all, and all his kids are prodigals. All of us have walked away. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have turned away. We've gone to our own way. We've done our own thing. We've lived our own lives the way that we want to. And we've taken ourselves out of the authority of our Father in heaven. And that's why the world is in chaos. That's why the world is going crazy. That's why we've got all sorts of things that are falling out of shape and are going to continue to fall out of shape because as long as they're not living under the authority of the Father who authored them, there will be chaos in our world. And there will be chaos in our lives until we settle the issue that God is a Father who has authority and we need to come under His authority and live under the authority of our Father if we're to fully live out the lives that He's wanting us to have. That's how chaos gets changed into beauty in people's lives. That's what repentance means. Repentance means to turn away from doing it myself, doing it my own way, living my own way, and coming under the God who has authority over all things. And if you're like me, repentance is not a one-time act. Because the tendency of my old nature... To keep turning away from God, to keep doing it my own way, to keep living my life the way I want to live it, and not coming under the authority of God, I wrestle with that every day, many times a day. And sometimes, in those times, I fail in those wrestlings. And the prodigal spirit that came into all of us when we chose to turn away from God gets active again in my life and turns me away from the living God. Even as a Christian, part of my walk in life is to keep turning back to my Father in heaven. Because the tendency of my old nature is to pull in the opposite direction. But we have great hope in our turning. And we have great hope in our turning because there is more to God than just His authority. In fact, if we leave it at that, in our world, people freak out with that. Because their understanding of authority is abusive. It's people crushing people. It's people riding rough shot over people. And what they're doing. I get a little, I mean, I love stained glass windows. But the guy on the right here, St. Aidan, he's got a sword in his hand. Now maybe there's some, you know, that's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. But, but there was a time when Christians thought that the way to spread the fatherhood of God around the world was with power and and crushing people and putting people down. And that's what you do. And they'd ride into lands like this one and take it over and say, this is now a Christian land because we've overpowered everybody. That's not Christianity. That's not the love of God. That's not the love of the Father. But that's what we do to God's authority when our sinful nature gets loose. Right? 
But God exercises authority in an amazing way. And that's the second part of what I wanted to talk to us about how Jesus talked about God as Father. Because he didn't just talk about his authority. He talked about his intimacy. Intimacy. What do I mean by that? I just mean by that an incredibly close relationship. Tight. Really tight. You're looking for family. You were saying that this this morning. God's looking for family. When, when, when you get that into your spirit, that's an, that's an incredible thing to say. Well, isn't God fine by himself? Yeah, he is, but he's got lots of kids, and all his kids went astray, and he wants them back. He wants them back, not just so he's got them around him, and he can say, I've controlled my universe, and I've got them back. He wants them back because he loves them, and he loves our company, and he loves to be with us, and he loves to hear our heart, and he loves to be able to wash away the tears from our eyes. He loves to be able to embrace us. He loves to be able to pour into us where we have needs and where we have things that, that we just don't feel we can supply any other way. God wants to be a father to us. And the greatest tragedy of our world is that it's a fatherless world, even though we have the greatest of fathers. How do we come into that intimacy of relationship with God, the intimacy that he wants with us? And how did Jesus express that? Well, you get windows into the life of Jesus every now and again. The gospel writers are amazing at doing this for us. And when we get those windows, you need to look through those windows. Okay, what's happening in that moment? The Greek word for uh, father is pater, P-A-T-E-R in our uh, alphabet. And so the New Testament was written for us in Greek. So whenever you get to that word father, they just use the Greek word pater. So every time that um, Jesus talks about father in the Gospels, the writers writing in Greek use the word pater, except once, only once. And at one moment in the life of Jesus, there's a window into how Jesus relates to his father, which is deeper than what we're getting everywhere else. The Hebrew word for father is ab, just A, B in our letters. But Jesus didn't speak just Hebrew. Jesus spoke a dialect of Hebrew called Aramaic. And in Aramaic, they had a word for father, which was derived from the Hebrew word ab, linked in with what they would expect a child to say, a baby to say, in their first words that would come out of their mouth. You know, when you've got mum and dad sitting around baby, and it's like, mama, dada, mama, dada. Who's going to say what first? Dada, dada, yes, he's dada. No, no, it's mama. And you have these big arguments. If you haven't been there, don't worry. But in the Aramaic, they take that word ab and they put it into what a baby sound would be and they come up with abba, abba, abba. Deliberately designed so that a baby can say it right from the earliest moment, they can get a word out of their lips. And the dads would be standing over them going, abba, abba, abba. The baby goes, Ava. there he is, it was there, it was there, I heard it, I heard it. And the mom's going, no, no, that wasn't Ava, that was something else. That word is a word of incredible intimacy. It's what a little child calls their father. And in the Aramaic, there's not really a word like it in English because we might say dada or something like that, but when you get older, you don't call your father dada anymore. 
But in Aramaic, when you get older, you can still call your father Abba. Because they don't want to lose the tenderness and the intimacy of, of what you had when you were a child, even when you're a grown person. And in this one moment, the gospel writer, instead of using the Greek word pada, he uses the Aramaic Abba when Jesus is talking about his Father in heaven. Does anybody know where that is? Here's your biblical test for the morning. Where does a gospel writer have Jesus using the word Abba instead of what we have in the Greek, the pada? It only happens once. Go for it, Samantha. Romans 8 is great. You're jumping the gun with me here. I'm coming to Romans 8, or I may do if I don't run out of time. But that's not Jesus. Paul says that in Romans 8, but you're absolutely right. Gethsemane, Andrew. Good job. You heard a sermon on this, or did you preach a sermon on it? (laughs) You rascal. He was there when I preached at Panet Road. (laughs) One moment... And it's a very significant moment in the life of Jesus. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane, he's just about to go to the cross. And the cross is going to be obviously terrible pain and suffering, scourging, whipping, beaten within an inch of his life, then carrying a cross up a hill and up onto that cross, nailed onto that cross, hanging there, dying on a cross. He's going to go through terrible pain and terrible suffering. And in that moment, before he goes through that process, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's brought some friends with him to pray with him, but they go to sleep on him. And it tells us in the Gospel of uh, Mark, in the Gospel of Mark and chapter 14 and verse 36, it tells us that Jesus went alongside, away from where the other people were to pray. And when he prayed, he threw himself down on the ground to pray. Now, we have to understand who this is. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God who spoke creation into being. This is the person who said, let there be a Milky Way. And between 200 and 400 billion stars, boom, came into existence. This is who's speaking now. This is Jesus who created all things through his powerful word and not just created them but sustains them by his powerful word. But here he is in a garden before he's coming to the biggest trial of his life and he's feeling the weight of it. Not because he's just taking his own pain, not just because he's going to go through his own suffering, but because he's going to take your pain. He's going to take my pain. He's going to carry all of our suffering. He's going to carry all of our sin. He's going to carry all of our judgment, all of the punishment for all of our sin. And all that weight from the beginning of Adam all the way to the end of the earth, all the pains and sufferings of generations upon generations are taken and are put on Jesus Christ. And he feels the weight of all of that on his shoulders. And he falls on the ground to pray. And all he can get out of his mouth is, Abba, 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 Abba. Do you hear the intimacy? Now he probably called 
his father Abba all the rest of the times in the gospel writers as well. Whenever he called God his father. But here in a moment, the Holy Spirit says, can you see? Can you see what's going on here? And we discover here that there's the wrestling between the two attributes of God that I've been talking about. Because he has an intimacy with God where he can call him his Abba. His daddy, it's like he's lying in a cradle and he's looking up the face of his father and getting words out. Abba is the first thing he can get out of his mouth. But he's there because he's wrestling with the authority of God as his father. That's what the wrestling match is about. And he says to his father in that moment, he says, Lord, if you can make this cup pass from me, if there's any other way of doing this, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want be done. And he wrestled his way into and under the authority of God. You know, Jesus had to wrestle his way into it. It didn't just happen. Oh, I'm just going to easily come under the authority of my father every time. No, he had to wrestle his way in. Just like you and I have to wrestle our way in. It doesn't just come easily. You know, you go through tough times, right? Bad things happening and thinking, what on earth is going on? And God's saying, I want you to continue. And you're like, I can't continue. I need to give up. And you, Is there any other way I can get through this? And you go through that same wrestling. Well, if at that moment in time, all you've got is the authority of God, it just feels like a crushing weight. It's like, okay, I have to obey God or he's going to crush me. And that's what's going on in your heart. But if you know that God is a Father who loves you and He wants intimacy with you and He desires to be near you and be close to you, what comes out is something different. Abba. Abba. Father, help me through what I'm going through right now because I'm not going to make it without you. You're my daddy in heaven. You're my Father who loves me dearly. Would you help me through this? Now the interesting thing is that God didn't rescue Jesus. Sometimes when we cry out, Abba, he doesn't rescue us from the situations we're in. Have you noticed that? Happens, doesn't it? Why isn't this situation changed, Abba? Well, we know in the case of Jesus, the reason he didn't rescue him was because if he'd rescued him, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. You and I would have no relationship with the Father. He didn't rescue him because he knew Jesus had to go through the suffering. He knew he had to go through the pain. And sometimes God our Father knows we have to go through painful things. It doesn't mean he does it lightly. Oh, you know, suck it up and get on with it and whatever. He doesn't talk to us like that. He doesn't, he's not harsh in the way that he deals with. He understands the pain that we're going through. But as a father, he understands sometimes you've just got to go through these things. Sometimes that's what life throws at you. And as we learn to trust him through them, that's how we grow. As we wrestle our way into the will of God, actually that's the place where we come into greater intimacy with God. When our will submits itself to him and that prodigal spirit that wants to rise up in us gets crushed because we give ourselves back to the Lord in a new way. Something else happens in our lives which brings us into greater intimacy with God. Because at the cross and the resurrection, Jesus took everything that separates us from our Father. Everything. And he dealt with it right there. Everything that separates us from our eternal Father is already dealt with. It was dealt with at the cross. All we have to do is to participate and work with God in what He's already done. 
He's already bought us everything we need to have a wonderful relationship, intimate relationship with our Father in heaven because he took all of our sin, all of our punishment, all of the stuff that separates us from God. Jesus took it on the cross, which is the great tragedy of our age because everybody could have a relationship with their Father in heaven. Everybody. But for many of us, our prodigal spirit will not say, will not... We just rule what we let it rule, what we, what we do. And it just keeps, takes us away and keeps taking us away from God, who is our Father. He didn't rescue Jesus from the garden. But it didn't mean that he was going to be distant. He didn't stand up from a long distance away and say, well, okay, Jesus, you better get on with that. And I'm going to watch you from a distance and see how you do. The Bible tells us that he summoned one of his mighty angels. And he sent an angel of his presence down to be with Jesus in the garden because he knew even Jesus needed comforting. A few years ago, I think it was in 1992, um, just before I came out actually to Canada, I took a bunch of kids and went down to um, the Olympics in Barcelona. I was a teacher and a couple of schools got together. We took our kids to the Barcelona Olympics. One of the great um, stories and pictures that came out of the Barcelona Olympics was not about somebody that won. There was a guy called Derek Redman. Derek Redman was a 400-meter runner. He happened to be British, but he was a 400-meter runner and a very good one. And people were expecting him to get a medal. And four years previously, he'd been um, in the Olympics in Seoul in Korea. But just before the race, he got injured. And so on these line beside his name on the sheet where it says who's competing, it said DC, didn't compete. And he'd lived with that for four years. He'd done all that training, got all the way, right the way to to the place where he was able to compete, and his body broke down, and he couldn't do it. So here he is now, fit, running the fastest times of his life, and he's about to run in the semi-final of the 400 meters at the Olympics. They take off round the bend, and you can watch this on YouTube. He gets halfway round the first bend, and he's right up there with the leaders. And he's going to get through the semi-final. Everybody thinks he's going to be one of the medalists. When he gets round the bend, he hears this crack. He thought somebody had shot at him. But it was his ankle that had gone. Boom. And he suddenly lost it. And he collapsed on the track. All those years of trying. Having failed previously. DC on his name. Now he was going to get a DF. Didn't finish. Alongside his name. And he picked himself up on the track and he started to hobble his way down the track. Everybody else was long since gone. But everybody in the stands began to watch what was going on. 60,000 people got to their feet, started to cheer. And he was hobble his way, his whole, his, he couldn't move really. Hobble his way around to, to where it got to the last 200 meters. But he couldn't go any further. And all of a sudden, if you're watching it on YouTube, you see this person break out of the crowd. They push the the stewards out of the way and they get out onto the track and the stewards are trying to stop him and they're doing this and he pushes them out of the way and he runs all the way to where Derek Redman is and he gets a hold of him around the side of Derek Redman and Derek Redman puts his head on this guy's shoulder. It was his dad. And his dad said to Derek Redman, Derek, you don't have to finish. You don't have to do this. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. And Derek said to him, I just want to make it to the finish line. That's okay. So if you watch the the YouTube, he kind of gets a hold of his son 
and the two of them go all the way around to mass shouting and cheering and nobody remembers who won the race. (laughs) All that they remember is there is a dad who wouldn't be stopped from helping his child to make it over the finishing line. You have a dad like that. Do you have another day when you just say, Dad, Abba, I just want to make it to the finish line. I don't know how I can do it. I don't know how I can get there. I don't know how I'm going to be able to keep going. I don't even know how I'm going to get through the next hour. I just want to make it to the finish line. You know what sort of dad you have, eh? Bible says he rides through the heavens to help us. He comes storming through. He'll break out any darkness that stands in the way, any resistance that wants to stand anyway. He'll move every mountain to come to where you are. To get alongside you. To get a hold of you. You're my daughter. You're my son. Dad, I just want to make it through. Come on. I'm going to help you make it through. That is who our Father is in heaven. And when we understand that that is who our Father is in heaven, then we can easily submit to his authority from heaven. Because we trust his goodness. Even if we don't understand what he's asking us to do. Does that make sense? Jesus wrestled his way into the authority of God and because he did that, he entered into a place of intimacy with his father, which was even greater than what he'd had before. And he'd had intimacy all the way through his life. Our tough times are an opportunity. They feel like a threat. But when you've got a dad who's going to move heaven and earth to be with you when you call on his name, it's an opportunity. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who cries out to Abba Father gets a listening ear in heaven. Nobody gets turned away. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. Nobody gets turned away. I had a neighbor back in, um, up in the north there in uh, Harborview. And um, I got talking to him and we, we talked backwards. And he was a real grumpy old man. He, he, got every, he upset every neighbor around. And... One way or another, the grass was too long, the cat was on the grass, the whatever, you know, it was one of these guys. You breathed on my lawn, whatever it was. <laughs> anyway, I got talking to him, and I really got on with him. We, we kind of laughed together, and we got on great. And I, I remember I told him one day about the gospel, and was sharing Jesus with him. He said, no, God wouldn't let me into heaven. He was a mafia hitman. He's living out here on the expense of the mafia in Toronto who sent him out here to... He said, if you knew what I'd done, nobody's going to let me into heaven. I said to him, Jesus, you call on the name of Jesus, and he will save you. Uh, he didn't, I gave him books, I gave him whatever. I, I never got through to him any more than that. He never prayed with me. Um, a couple of years ago, I was in the garden, and I, I just hadn't seen him for a while, and his wife was out there, and I said to his wife, so Lynn, where's, where's your husband? She said, oh, do you not, did you not hear? No. Oh, he passed away like two months ago. What? It's the winters here. Eh? You can go two months and you don't realize your neighbors passed away. And I remember one day there was a few cars outside. And I said, Lynn, 
Why didn't you tell me? I'd have done the funeral. I'd have to get someone in. They hired someone to do the funeral. Didn't know them. I'd have done the funerals for you. I'd done whatever. She said, I know, I know. We didn't want to bother you and, and whatever. He'd been on his treadmill downstairs. He'd come downstairs and he was gone. He had all sorts of health, health troubles. So I, I said to, him, Len, to, to Lynn, I, I started talking to her about it and, and just saying that the Lord would be with her and whatever. And she said, you know, Peter, you probably don't know this, but after you talked to him, do you know he started to pray? I don't know what he prayed. I'm trusting he called on the name of the Lord. Because if he called on the name of the Lord, I'm going to see him again one day. And he will be in heaven not because, you know, all the stuff he did on earth, because what he did on earth was not great. He'll be on earth in heaven because of what Jesus did on earth, which is phenomenal, because it wipes away all our stains. And if you're here this morning and you think, that's too far gone for me, my situation's too far, I'm too far gone for my father to accept me, that is not the truth. Because however far gone you are, Jesus went further. He went all the way to bring you back to him. You know that same spirit that was in Jesus that cried out, Abba, Father. When we get saved, that same spirit comes into us. That's what Samantha was talking about in Romans 8 and again in Galatians 4. It's the only three times it mentions the word Abba in the Bible. One, when Jesus says it, and twice now, it's for us to say. Because Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, I'm going to my Father and to your Father. The cross and the resurrection makes him our Father too. And that same spirit that cries out, Abba, that was in Jesus at Gethsemane in the middle of the tough times, crying out, Abba, Father. When you're in that tough time and you say, God, what is that spirit that cries out to God? That's the spirit of sonship. Whether you're a man or a woman, because it's the spirit of Jesus, the Son of God in you crying out to him, Abba, Father, because you can have the same intimacy with him. You have the same spirit. You are born from above. You are his child if you've come to know him. And if you haven't come to know him this morning, you can do. We can lead you in a simple prayer that will lead you into that place of being a child of God today.